Welcome to the Essence of Health Tea Time Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Shayla Toombs-Withers. As a double board certified family and obesity medicine physician with over 12 years of experience in medicine, I teach motivated individuals how to achieve their desired quality of life while preventing and reversing chronic diseases. It's tea time. On today's episode, I'll be spilling the tea on a common question asked to plant-based eaters. So where do you get your protein? I was recently invited to speak at the Tampa Bay Veg Fest. So this discussion was recorded at the festival. A word of warning that there is some background noise, but I hope you enjoy this episode and the discussion. Towards the end of the episode, we'll include the question and answer portion of this event and our wonderful additions to our Ask the Expert segment of our podcast. Dr. Shayla Tim's mother is here, so happy to be here with you all today. I just want to get a little poll of who's here. So if I show up hands, who's already plant-based? This is awesome, awesome, awesome. And how many newly plant-based folks do we have just within this past year? Yeah, be proud, proud, yeah. Exactly, awesome, awesome. And then anybody on the fence, any skeptics? I love talking to my skeptics. All right, yes, yes, well happy you're here. Yes, happy to have you all here too. Alrighty, so I'm so excited because, you know, we have seen uh, plant-based nutrition become more mainstream over the years. You know, we've got more celebrities who, you know, good, bad, or ugly, they are influencers of change. Um, and so we've, we've had more of them, you know, probably speaking out about plant-based nutrition. We've got more people in the medical field, like myself, who are promoting more plant-based nutrition for health and wellness. Um, and so it's just a great thing to see it become more mainstream because we do know that it can it can help improve our lives, improve our health, it can save our planet. So you know, eating plant-based and veganism totally has its place. So happy to have you all here. All right. So how's that? Can you all hear me pretty good? Okay. Awesome. Awesome. All right, yeah, so I always enjoy attending VegFest events because especially for my newly plant-based folks and for people who may be on the fence and not sure about plant-based, it's always a good way that you can try out some really delicious food. Um, you get to meet people who are diverse backgrounds who are plant-based. You get to support businesses that are plant-based and people who are promoting health and people who are helping to save our environment. So it's always a good place to be. And so had a great lineup of speakers who talk about a lot of the different aspects of veganism and all the important reasons why we put plants on our plate. Uh, but for my perspective, I'm going to talk to you guys more about the health and wellness side of things. As a physician with over 12 years of practicing medicine, I've personally seen the importance of what we put on our plate and how food can promote health as well as how food can promote disease uh, depending on what we're putting on our plate. In this country, heart disease is still the number one killer of Americans. So, you know, we just come out of a pandemic and as much as we've seen about COVID, as much as we've seen about influenza, uh, cancer, all of these things, but it's still heart disease that's the number one killer. Um, and the thing about heart disease is that it's largely preventable. And a lot of that really just depends upon what we eat and what we put on our plate. And so that's what I really want to talk to you all about today. 
gonna give you a bit of my own journey to plant-based uh, eating. So I'm originally from the South. I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia. Grew up with traditional Southern cooking at home. So the, you know, the meals were, you know, especially family gatherings, you know, fried chicken, mac and cheese, corn with the butter, you know, all the things. Uh, there were greens that had some type of meat that was cooked into the greens. So that was, that was the way of life. But as I grew older, I found myself uh, developing stomach pain. And I got to a point um, when I was in college where the pain just got worse and worse and I'd be doubled over it in, in pain a lot. And so I went and saw a doctor at all the things, you name it, I had it, uh, workup done. Thankfully, everything was normal. There was nothing, you know, strikingly wrong. But then the doctor, I saw a specialist and he said, well, now that we've ruled all the bad stuff out, let's just try eliminating some things from your diet and let's see how that works. And so one of the first things that he told me to eliminate was dairy. And so I did it. He said, well, let's just try it for two weeks, two weeks, see how it, it goes. It was the hardest two weeks because mac and cheese is my favorite food. <laughs> but I did it. I followed, you know, what he said. And believe it or not, it really worked. I felt so much better. I didn't get any of that pain that I had been experiencing. And, you know, I went back and, and saw him after and I was like, yeah, that really worked. He was like, yeah, so I, I think you're lactose intolerant. And, you know, still me, young college students, still didn't really know exactly what all that meant and what that meant for my health. And so I just knew that when I didn't eat dairy, when I didn't eat the mac and cheese or have the ice cream, I didn't get doubled over in pain. But then when I would have those things, I would. And so it was like, okay, well, choose kind of choose your adventure day. You know, <laughs> what kind of day are you gonna have? You wanna be in pain today or you wanna feel better? And so, and that kind of led me more down the path. I knew I wanted to study medicine, went on to medical school to learn more about, you know, health and wellness and how to uh, help people and change lives. I still wasn't totally uh, eating vegan at that point, but I, I ventured a little more into vegetarianism at that time. I had one of my uh, good friends in medical school though, who was vegan and she always, you know, would have us like try things that she would make and uh, cook and, you know, tell us about this. And she'd go, you know, run miles and feel great and look great. And I was like, yeah, that, that's a bit far-fetched. And so, but the, the more after medical school and actually getting into practice and seeing this, these things before my eyes, seeing the patients in the hospital who had the heart attacks and the strokes and seeing the uncontrolled diabetics getting, you know, limbs cut off and suffering from these things actually led me to do my own self-discovery and to read more about what this veganism thing was and, and how it can make a change in our health. And that's really um, when I moved to that standpoint for my own health. I noticed that I felt much better. I went from not being an athlete at all to being a runner after I had my first baby. I've done, since that time, several marathons. I finished my first full Ironman a couple of years ago. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and, you know, I attributed all a large part of that just to my diet and, and being plant-based and being able to uh, just nourish and fuel my body properly in that way and so that's that's my story and why I'm here and why I, I teach patients these things and why I tell people about these things and so just telling you a little bit more even about you know our relationship with food and health it comes through some statistics about lactose intolerance so it affects many people uh, populations with those of East Asian descent 
having the highest rates of lactose intolerance, followed by Native Americans, African Americans, Mexican Americans, and Caucasians. And so what that statistic tells us is that, you know, a large part of our population actually do suffer and shouldn't have dairy. But, you know, I'm like I said, mom of three, milk is readily available in our schools and it's what we, you know, promote that our kids should be having and should be drinking when we know that this stuff can actually make people sick. Cow's milk consumption has been linked to increasing one's risk for cancer, like prostate cancer, breast cancer, ovarian cancer. Worldwide, it's estimated that 68% of people are lactose intolerant, and in the U.S., uh, about 36% of people. And so why am I even talking about lactose intolerance beyond my own health? But it's just a small reminder how food can promote health or it can promote disease. Food can give you energy or food can make you feel sluggish. Uh, food can boost your mood, but food can also make you feel not so great and contribute to worsening your mood. Food can heal disease or food can cause discomfort. So let's go into food as medicine. So plant-based food can be used to heal the body, prevent disease, and reverse chronic disease. I personally witness individuals achieve the ability to reduce their number of medications, to lower their blood sugar, reverse their diabetes. I've been able to take people off of insulin, uh, lower their blood pressure, improve their you know sleep apnea their sleep uh, just by changing what we put on their plate and so often when I introduce of a plant-based diet to, to treat a health condition to my patients or my clients one of the common concerns that people have is protein uh, and so how many of my plant-based eaters out here have heard where do you get your protein yeah yeah exactly exactly it's one of the common things I always tell people if I was given a nickel, every time somebody said, where do you get your protein or how do you get enough protein, then I'd be swimming in dough like Scrooge McDuck, if you guys remember the old throwback <laughs> DuckTales adventure. Because it is, it's just that comment of a question um, that, you know, we're asked. And it's really not a problem. I'll tell you, I recently did a quick Google search regarding questions about veganism. And Google gave me questions that you should ask the vegan. So what do you all think the first question was? You got it. <laughs> Here's some other questions. They said, what do you eat? Do you ever miss meat? Where do you get your vitamin B12 from? Do you just eat salads all the time? And my favorite too, do you get ill all the time? And what about the smell of bacon? Does that make you hungry? That was an actual question that you should ask the vegan. Yeah. <laughs> So people become truly concerned and fixated about their protein intake um, as if they will suddenly become malnourished just by stopping consuming animal products. So let's talk about it. So what are proteins anyway? Proteins are comprised of amino acids. They aid the body in various vital functions, including making antibodies, hormones, muscles, and additional functions that are necessary for life. In terms of nourishment, there are four calories per one gram of protein. In medical school, we were taught details of malnourishment, protein malnourishment, and the health risks associated uh, with lack of calories. But I can honestly say outside of uh, seeing and treating hospitalized patients, I have never come across uh, an American who eats whatever every day who is uh, protein malnourished. It, 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 we just don't see it. Yeah, you know, there are people who have eating disorders, 
there are people who have disorders that uh, prohibit them from absorbing certain, certain nutrients from food. And I'm not talking about those individuals, but I am talking about those folks who just eat regular food every day, whether they're vegan, whether they're raw vegan, whether they're fruititarian or nutritarian, whichever label you want to put on it, they're not protein deficient and they're not malnourished. There are millions of people worldwide who do suffer from protein malnutrition, but the majority of these folks are children or elderly, and they live in rural countries in Africa, the highest rates in Sub-Saharan Africa, and in Asia, with the highest rates in Southeast Asia. In these areas of the world, protein malnutrition is more due to inadequate access to any food at all. And so it's not that, you know, it's vegan food, it's that they don't have any food. And researchers attribute a lot of this to poverty, to uh, territorial conflict, as well as governmental issues that play a part in that. But for Americans, we are not suffering from malnutrition due to lack of protein. Americans, we do suffer from malnutrition, but it's due to lack of quality food. Malnutrition is different. It's lack of vegetables, it's lack of whole grains, it's lack of fresh fruits, it's lack of even access to fresh food in certain communities in our country. Um, it's due to diets high in sugar and trans fat and saturated fat and high rates of pollution, which affects our ability to grow healthy food for our uh, communities. And so that's our form of malnutrition. Even the World Health Organization, they acknowledge that the United States has unprecedented rates of both obesity with greater than one third of all adults exhibiting obesity and food insecurity at the same time, which affects about one eighth of our population. Overfeeding, um, high calorie but low nutrient meals, which occurs in many of our food subsidy programs, uh, exasperates this burden of both malnutrition and increasing obesity rates and health disparities in low income populations. So food has the capability to improve these health disparities and promote health if the right type of food is consumed. I'm gonna tell you a story uh, about a patient of mine who I saw a few years ago. A healthy 25 year old uh, male. He appeared lean, healthy, and fit. When I saw him for his first appointment, didn't reveal that he had any uh, previous health conditions at all. His exam was unremarkable. Blood pressure, all of those things, vital signs, all normal. But when we reviewed his lab work, his labs actually showed that he had some kidney damage. And so we chatted about it, and he had no, you know, he never knew about having any kidney damage or any type of kidney problems uh, being in his family. So we just kind of said, well, we'll watch it and we'll recheck it in a few weeks. Because sometimes people can uh, acutely show kidney damage on a lab test just if they haven't drank enough fluid or they may be a bit dehydrated. And so I said, okay, just make sure you drink plenty of water next time, we'll recheck your labs in a few weeks. Well, he comes back in a few weeks and his kidney function is actually a little bit worse than what it was. And he was very mindful to um, have been drinking enough fluid. So we knew that that you know, shouldn't have been an issue in terms of that. We had a, a deeper discussion about um, if he was taking any over-the-counter medicines, if he had been taking any supplements, uh, even lifestyle things that he'd been you know, working out a lot, uh, working out in the heat like a day like today can cause some kidney changes on a lab test. And so the more I talked to him, I found out that he was actually training for a fitness competition. And so he had been consuming supplements, uh, creatine and whey supplements. And so I talked to him about that and we talked about just stopping those and cutting those out and seeing if that was the cause. 
of what was showing up on his kidney function test. Rechecked his labs in a few more weeks, he comes back. Now they're back to normal. And so we knew what our culprit was. And so for that, you know, we talked about that building muscle, there are ways of building muscle. And you can do that, you can do it with plant foods. I mean, you don't need all of these supplements and shakes and all of these things that people, you know, tell you that you have to have to do so. And so after he actually saw that and, you know, the proof was in the pudding there with his lab work, he realized that and he did stop doing that. And so, you know, one of the things people are truly concerned about is that if they just eat plants, they aren't going to, you know, have enough muscle and they're going to waste away. I, I think, you know, some of that probably comes from the media and what we saw years ago amongst people who were vegan, who, you know, were kind of the stereotypical thin and, you know, maybe looked like they needed a cheeseburger kind of people. But, you know, as we all know, veganism looks in all forms. It's diverse. There are people of different ethnicities who eat plant-based. There are people of different shapes and sizes. And so that's, that's not, you know, the, the picture. And so I'm going to give you some more facts. So 2019 data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, it showed that about 16% of our daily caloric intake was made up of protein. So if you calculate this out, based upon a 2,000 calorie diet, that's 320 calories of our daily intake from protein. If you calculate that further, based upon there being the four calories in one gram of protein, the average American adult consumes about 80 grams of protein per day. Now, the recommended daily allowance of protein is 46 grams for adult females and 53 grams for adult males. These averages will vary based upon age, life stage, and health of that particular individual. But regardless of gender, what this information tells us is that most of us are actually getting two times the actual amount of protein that we need. 2013 article took a look at 32 other studies that were published related to high protein consumption. And their findings showed that excessive consumption of protein, especially animal-based protein, over the daily recommended allowance, it increased risk of kidney damage, kidney stones, cardiovascular disease, various types of cancer, including breast, bowel, and prostate cancer, bone and liver problems. And this is due to the effects that animal-based protein sources have on our body, making it challenging for the body to efficiently break down the such large amount of protein that we like to consume. When they looked at plant-based sources of protein, it was not found to have the same effects on the body because plants are more easily digestible and our bodies are more readily able to utilize that food for fuel and we don't have as big of an issue with breaking it down. There was another study, a 2017 study published in the Journal of Renal Nutrition, and it showed that by substituting one serving of red meat with the plant-based protein, such as legumes, was associated with a 31 to 62% reduced risk of chronic kidney disease. A 2020 study published in the Journal of American Medical Association found that replacing just 3% of your calories of animal protein with plant-based protein instead it provided up to a 12% lower risk of death from cardiovascular disease, including heart attacks and strokes. There has also been studies showing that excessive amounts of animal protein can contribute to bone loss by increasing the amount of calcium loss from our body. And this is also having to do with uh, animal-based protein uh, affecting our kidneys. And so globally, 70%, excuse me, 76% 
of the population derives most of their daily protein from plants, particularly rice and wheat, which are primary sources of dietary protein. So what this tells us is that you won't be malnourished and you won't be protein deficient by eating plants. You don't need protein shakes, you don't need supplements to get a sufficient amount of protein. Protein is necessary for building muscle and healthy cells, but you can get a sufficient amount from beans, nuts, whole grains, rice. You can get protein without saturated fat and cholesterol that comes along with animal-based protein. Um, and so let's take a little deeper dive into this question of about getting enough protein on our plate. So for this example, actually using it with actual food. One of the other things I do is I'm, I'm a health coach. I coach clients on using food to prevent and reverse their chronic diseases. Um, and so a lot of what we do is look at how they can build their plate and how they can eat healthily and what their plate should look like. So for this example, we're going to aim for an average of around 50 grams of protein for the day. And we'll start with breakfast. So if you ate a cup of oatmeal, you get five grams of protein. If you top your oatmeal, with one ounce of walnuts, that'll give you an additional 4.3 grams of protein. And three ounces of blueberries will give you an additional 0.7 grams of protein. So you would consume 10 grams of protein just for breakfast. And that's not counting the amount of protein you might consume if you stop and get a latte with some kind of plant-based milk. Now, let's plan lunch. If you ate a veggie wrap, you have about 4.4 grams of protein in your whole wheat tortilla. You have four grams of protein from the two ounces of hummus bread, 0.6 grams of protein in your half a cup of tomatoes, and one gram of protein in the one cup of spinach added to your wrap, and 10 grams of protein if you added a half cup of marinated tofu. So you would consume 20 grams of protein just at lunch. So now you combine breakfast and lunch and you've already had 30 of your 50 grams of protein thus far. Now you get the afternoon munchies. So you're gonna add in one to two grams of protein and a couple of unsweetened almond milk or oat milk. But if you were to choose soy milk, you get five to seven grams more protein per cup. You add in a half a cup of roasted or air fried chickpeas cooked without oil and you get another seven grams of protein. And that will bring your snack option up to about eight to 14 grams of protein. And now you've consumed about 40 grams of protein and you haven't even eaten dinner yet. And then we'll round out our day with the healthy dinner. If you ate one cup of quinoa, you have about eight grams of protein and you top it with one cup of roasted or stir sauteed broccoli for another 2.57 grams of protein. You add a cup of kidney beans, you get another 13.4 grams of protein. You top it with some spice and you add the sauce of choice and you've consumed at least 24 grams of protein. Now, let's have a little dessert. So you have all right, we've eaten a lot today, huh? <laughs> so you have a warm apple and you top it with one tablespoon of unsweetened peanut butter for dessert and that'll add an additional 3.7 grams of protein. So this delicious meal through your day would have given you 60.7 grams of protein in addition to all of the good fiber, fat, the good sources of complex carbohydrates, the vitamins and the nutrients that you consume with that meal you'd be really full because you were able, you could see how much food you were able to consume and you feel great, you feel energized, you feel powerful, you wouldn't feel sluggish from this meal. And so for some who may still feel a little bit skeptical about this, you would get 31 grams of protein from four ounces of chicken or 28 grams from four ounces of steak. But 
if you think back to our plant-based meal, you would have also gotten this amount from the food you consumed at breakfast and lunch. And you feel much more satisfied from the plant-based breakfast and lunch than you would from just a handful of steak or chicken. And you also wouldn't expose yourself to uh, cardiovascular disease promoting uh, saturated fat and cholesterol that you would get from that four ounces of steak or chicken. So the science tells us that our source of protein is important to keep in mind so that we don't increase our risk for health conditions while we aim to improve our health. So keep eating plants. Don't worry about the protein, you're getting plenty. Remember as Hippocrates said, let food be thy medicine and thy medicine be thy food. And the essence of health is in you. So thank you for listening. And I, I am here to take questions too. So if there are any questions just about getting more plants on your plate, about protein, yeah. I can tell you about the oil. So oil is one of those things that ideally you do want to steer clear from. And the reason for that is because it also can promote cardiovascular disease. Um, oil, it can tend to over time can block those uh, blood vessels and can promote plaques and plaque buildup. Uh, particularly one that I get from a lot of plant-based eaters is about coconut oil. Because I think there's been a mixed message out there about coconut oil being so healthy for us. But I always tell people, put the coconut oil on your skin or in your hair, but not in your mouth. Coconut oil is very, very high in saturated fat if you ever look at the label on it. Um, and saturated fat is one of the number one causes of heart disease. Um, and it also increases inflammation in the body, which then therefore also promotes and increases your risk for heart attacks and strokes. So that's the problem with oil and why you want to steer, steer for it. Yeah, it's still gonna... It's gonna be better than, than eating meat, but in the grand scheme, if you're really wanting to prevent or reverse a chronic disease condition, then I would taste your clear of it. Yeah. There are ways of, um, yeah, and I'm, I'm happy to take points. There are ways, because one of the common things that why people um, are, you know, have a challenge with staying away from oil is, well, how am I gonna cook, you know, a certain thing that I wanna eat? And so there are ways of doing that. One of the things um, in terms of making something crispy, if you use parchment paper, that's one trick that I like, um, and you can turn your oven up a bit higher, you can actually make your food crispier that way, um, just by cooking it on the parchment paper instead of just in a regular way without using the oil on it. Yeah, and then you can saute with vegetable broth instead of your oil. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. So what we are seeing a lot right now um, in our country is fatty liver disease. And that's one of the common causes of making liver enzymes go up. It's largely dietary based. And typically the culprits for that are going to be high fat diets and high processed carbohydrate type of diets. So even if you're vegan, if you're consuming um, a lot of the more processed vegan foods, or if you're consuming um, a lot of things, when I say processed, those are things that are in a package or on a shelf, those things. 
those things will promote more fatty liver disease and those that would be a reason why liver enzymes would go up um, in someone who you know doesn't have a history of drinking alcohol heavily um, or other reasons it's typically the the high saturated fat and the high processed carbohydrates in the diet yeah i think you had a Olive oil. Olive oil. Olive oil. Yes, that was a similar question to our lady in the back. I'm sorry, you probably hear me. Let me take a drink of water. Yeah, so what we talked about with oil is that oil can actually increase your risk for heart disease because of the amount of fat, saturated fat in oil. And what it does is it can concentrate into our blood vessels, uh, creating plaque buildup, um, which can increase our risk still for heart attacks and strokes. Oil also is an inflammatory producing food. And so um, by that route, that's another way that it can increase your risk for cardiovascular disease. Oil a lot of times can cause uh, certain flares of skin condition, can cause flare-ups in people who may have autoimmune issues or pain issues because it's inflammatory producing. I would say don't use any, but <laughs> eat, eat the olive instead of using the olive oil. Yeah, but eat the olive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gonna be the same thing. And it's, it's the process of how we make oils. You know, they, they grind the food down into a concentrated form and it's, it's inflammatory, what are you saying? Yeah. Yeah, so if you want to, if you, you know, have to choose, you want to eat the food as it is over choosing the oil. Yeah. Yes, sir. Now, that's going to depend on if you have a health condition. So, omega-3s definitely have their place. I have a whole other talk about omega-3s. But, yeah, but omega-3s do have their place. But it depends on the health condition um, for, you know, that specific thing. But omega-3s are helpful uh, for neurologic function, they're helpful for you know, brain function. Um, for children, especially who are developing brain growth and brain development, we do want them to have omega-3s. Now you can get plant-based sources of omega-3s, chia seeds, flax seeds, uh, yeah, protein, those are all good plant-based sources of omega-3s. And then there are some people who choose to do it with fish oil because sometimes fish oil can be absorbed uh, better and we can receive the, the, what we, we need, for lack of a better word, out of the omega-3, then sometimes we can with the plant-based sources of it. Um, but yeah, so omega-3s do have their place, but it's not that you want to like cook your food or drizzle, you know, all of your food with the, the omega-3 oil. Yeah. Yes, sir. In terms of fat, I like peanut butter, and good peanut butter. Right. And on a calorie count per day, what, what do you think, like avocado and or peanut butter? Yeah, so it, yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, and so it, it depends on what your health goals are. Like I said, you know, one of the other things I do in terms of health coaching, it's going to depend on what our goals are. So if we're trying to lose weight, then we probably do want to limit the amount of peanut butter or the amount of avocado that we eat, just because those are more fatty foods. Uh, fat, for instance, has nine uh, calories per gram versus like we talked about the protein is four calories and the carbohydrates are four calories. So, you know, if you kind of do the math on that, when you eat your peanut butter, you're going to get a lot more calories um, because of the fat in peanut butter. It's just naturally, you know, naturally occurring fat because it's the peanuts. Then if you would, for instance, uh, hummus instead for your spread or your dip. Yeah. Yeah. 
great question. What else we got? I love your t-shirt. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I love it. Love it. Yeah. I am. Yeah. So I'm physically based in Tennessee. Um, my practice, I have a brick and mortar typical, not typical because it's more of a concierge clinic practice where we focus on holistic uh, medicine in Tennessee, but I also offer virtual uh, telehealth yeah, consultations and I also have a virtual health and wellness coaching program for those who are looking to prevent or reverse chronic disease. stream goes up that's why we have energy after we eat and then our bodies use that insulin to bring it back down and to kind of keep us in a homeostatic level environment in our body but for those people who are type 1 they don't have that and so if they don't use uh, insulin from you know from injecting insulin then they could actually die because they don't have any way of their body regulating their blood sugar and so it is still important for type 1 diabetics to count carbohydrates now, type 1 diabetics do really well on plant-based diets, though, and they're able to more so regulate their blood sugars a lot better on a plant-based diet versus more of an animal-based diet. There is a group of uh, type there are two type well, uh, excuse me, type 1 di diabetes uh, guys who created uh, Mastering Diabetes. It's a book, yeah, that they've come out with and they talk about how they manage their type 1 diabetes with their plant-based diet. One of the guys I follow on Instagram, he always shows this picture of him eating like loads of mangoes because for so long we told diabetics that you couldn't eat a fruit. Um, but he does, he manages his diabetes very well with the plant-based diet. I do watch some documentaries. I will say Game Changers is one of my favorites that has you know, come out more recently. Yeah, but there's some good ones out there. Forks Over Knobs, Engine 2, uh, Rescue, um, yeah, Plant Powered Nation, they did a really good one. Yeah, so there, there are some great ones out there. And you know, I typically give this statistic in another talk, but there are some studies that were done for those people who may be on the fence about truly plant-based. And what it showed is that even if you just put more plants on your plate, even if you just decide, oh, this full-on plant-based thing is not for me, but just putting more plants on your plate is going to take you a lot further than the alternative. There were some studies that showed where they uh, studied people who weren't vegan. They weren't, you know, completely plant-based. They just told them, follow this diet. And what the diet was is that they ate plants most of the time. And then, you know, they kind of just ate whatever else they wanted to eat. <laughs> but they still showed about a 20% reduced risk in heart disease just by having more plants. So even if it's just a more plant predominant plate that you, you know, choose to do, then that's still gonna be better than the alternative. Yeah. Well, thank you all so much for listening. 
you're frustrated with your weight, taking more medications than you like to, have been told that you are at risk for the development of a chronic preventable disease, or just are not feeling in the best of health, then I'm talking to you. Why? Because you're tired of fat dieting, you know it's time for a change, and you want a sustainable plan to improve your health. If you have found yourself at this place in life, well, I have developed a program that's just for you. It's called The Essence of Health, and it's your prescription for transformation. My goal with this program is to give you the tools needed to create sustainable lifestyle changes within a group coaching setting, along with one-to-one individualized coaching to give you a personalized path to health that's just for you. The benefits are priceless. So join today. Head on over to eohcoaching.com to learn more. The essence of health is in you. Stay tuned this fall as I will also be speaking at both the Scruffy City Vegan Fest in Knoxville, Tennessee, and the Georgia Veg Fest in Duluth, Georgia. Hope to see you there. Thank you for joining me today on the Essence of Health Tea Time Podcast. Click the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss a moment of the Essence of Health Tea Time Podcast. Check out the show notes to obtain your free tips for healthy living guide to get you started on your health and wellness path. Follow me on social media at Essence of Health Wellness Clinic on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and at dr.tw at eohwc on TikTok. Interested in becoming a member of the Essence of Health Coaching Program? Well, head on over to www.eohcoaching.com. The Essence of Health is in you.